Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, fill me with the Holy Spirit, then send me out to share Christ with others so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me share a true story with you that another Christian has testified to that he's encountered. He said, last week, my wife and I attended a small group fellowship that's part of our church. We talked at length with a dear 20-year-old young lady by the name of Mindy. She works in a Christian clothing store at the Main Place Mall in Santa Ana, California. Part of her job description is to offer prayer to shoppers. Come on, somebody say amen. That's a cool store. A few months ago, a woman entered the store and Mindy sensed a burning need to pray for her. But when she offered to do so, the woman said that she wasn't interested. About 10 minutes later, while Mindy was at the cash register totaling up the woman's bill, the Lord spoke to Mindy and told her that the woman was seriously ill and that she was to pray for her. So Mindy gently asked the woman if she had a serious illness and the woman began to weep and told her that she had just been diagnosed with a serious form of cancer while she had recently started chemotherapy the doctor told her that there was only a slight chance that the therapy would work in response to the woman's change of heart Mindy the 20 year old young lady laid hands on her And prayed for her healing. Right in the store. Two weeks later, the woman returned to the store looking for Mindy. She had brought her entire family with her. The week after receiving prayer, the woman's doctor performed a scheduled test on her. And to his amazement, he found that the cancer was completely gone. The woman had been healed. And she had brought her entire family to the store for Mindy to pray for them. And this guy goes on and he says, When you pray for the sick, your goal is to love and bless that person and leave the results to God. Wow. Come on, that's a good amen spot right there. Let me just ask with a show of hands. How many of you have ever known someone who had received prayer, and there was a supernatural, miraculous breakthrough or an answer to that prayer. Come on, anybody? Look at, look at there's hands everywhere. All right. How many of you have received prayer yourself? Something looks like it was impossible. Something didn't going to work. Something that seemed like out of your control. And all of a sudden, somewhere, somehow, God came through and 
He moved on your behalf and he did something. Look at that. Wow, hands everywhere. Okay, so let me, this is a big question. Let me just ask it. How many of you believe God still does miracles today? All right, Here, here's another question. This, one, this one's a little harder to get my hand up to, but let's just be vulnerable, okay? How many of you believe that he can bring you to be the vessel of that miracle? Huh? We got a lot of hands going up. Matthew 28 again with me. Jesus is speaking. Verse 18. Jesus came to his disciples and he spoke to them saying, Some authority. Is that what it says? Oh, okay. Just making sure you're awake. It's an awake test, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So let that sink in. He's talking to his disciples. This is after he was resurrected from the grave. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go therefore. Now we have to interject and make sure we understand He's saying, since all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and you're my disciples, you're my representatives, you're my ambassadors in the earth, go therefore. Go therefore in that authority that I've been given, that I'm transferring to you. Go therefore, and this is what I want you to do, and make disciples. Well, let me interject. I think it's worth noting You can't make disciples unless someone first gets what? Starts with an S. Saved, right? So in him saying, go make disciples, he's obviously saying, preach the gospel. And that's in other gospels as well, in Luke and in Mark. Share the good news. And when they receive me as their Lord and Savior, make disciples of all the nations, all ethnicities. That's what that means. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Immerse them, not just in water, but immerse them in the Godhead. Immerse them in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Immerse their lives in God when you baptize them in water. That's what that's declaring. Their old life is gone, dead, buried, and gone. Their new life in Christ is risen when they come up out of the water. They're they're new people. And they're living with a new purpose. And then he says, teach them to observe. I like another translation says, teach them to obey. How many know there's a difference between observing what Jesus says and doing what Jesus says? Right? Teach them. By the way, the blessing is in the doing. We got to observe, but then we got to follow through. Teach them to observe and do all things that I have commanded you. So you see the transfer there? Jesus taught them. And now he's commissioning them to go in his authority, win the lost, and then teach them to become followers of Jesus, right? I'm going to be with you always. No matter what the circumstances are, till you take your last breath, I'm going to be with you always. So this is our fourth or fifth week on a series that we've been calling, come on, anybody know it? More than believers. More than believers, the making of a disciple. Now, it's worth mentioning that when we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, God wants us to do more than just say we believe in Him. He wants us to do more than just a mental assent, like, 
two and two is four. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. He wants for us to be more than simply believers. He wants for us to learn to actually follow Jesus as a disciple, as a learner, as an apprentice, as an imitator, right? Some, above, some people might say, well, that's a tall order. Well, he sent us the Holy Spirit and the church to help us to do that together. He's not asking you to do something you can't do or he's not going to enable you to do. He's going to help us to do it. If you've missed any of the previous messages, you got it. This is a fundamental foundational message for a follower of Jesus. You got to go back and listen to them because we took time to lay some foundation. We talked about the fact that Jesus wants every believer to be a disciple. And we talked about the fact that a disciple has to have a foundation. And the foundation is the love of the Father, the finished work of the Son, Jesus Christ, and all that's included in that finished work, the blessing in Jesus. And then as a foundation is we got to accept and receive and open to the gift of the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift to the world is Jesus. But the greatest gift to the church is the Holy Spirit. And we can't do anything for Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So that's our foundation. And then we talked a little bit about the necessity of beginning to exercise ourselves towards godliness. To begin to implement some spiritual disciplines so that we can become disciplined followers of Christ. Now let me say this. I'm not advocating working for your salvation. I'm not advocating working to be right with God. But the word disciple carries with it the idea of being disciplined and learning to order our lives after Jesus. By the way, Jesus was disciplined. He prayed regularly. He knew the scriptures. He communed with the Father. Spiritual disciplines were part of Jesus' life. And he communicated that to his disciples. Spiritual disciplines puts us on a pathway to transformation and life change and the renewing of our minds and experiencing the life that God has for us. You can get saved and go to heaven. And between now and then, if you don't exercise any godliness, any spiritual disciplines, you and I will be missing out on so much of what God has for us when we become doers of the word. Amen? So it's part of our life with God. Again, the Holy Spirit will help you to do that. And last week, I talked a little bit about Um, Just one big boulder last week, and that was this, that disciples share or preach the gospel like Jesus did, right? So we've covered a lot of territory. If you missed those, I would encourage you as your pastor, please go back and listen to them. Because part of the heartbeat of our senior pastor and our teaching team is that this message would really begin to shift our hearts and create culture. You know what a culture is? A culture is just how you do things. How you think about things and how you do things. And we want to be a church that's making room for the Holy Spirit and winning the lost and and helping people to grow as maturing followers of Jesus. That's kind of the goal of the church, isn't it? Right? We're more than just an outreach center. We're more than just a food bank. We're carrying the power of Christ. We're carrying the message of heaven. And we got it. People are desperate for help. And part of our role is to help people to get there. And the first thing that we got to understand is disciples learn how to share the gospel. If you weren't here, you got to get that because I talked about three simple things. And one, you got to know your story. Everybody has a story. And then you got to know how to share your story. Not in 30 minutes, more like three. 
because people won't give you 30 minutes, but they'll they'll listen to the story if it's quick and to the point. And then you share the gospel story and then you can actually ask someone if they want to receive Jesus. I won't ask you with a show of hands, but statistically speaking. Most churches, if you ask people, hey, when was the last time you personally led someone to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? You know, statistically, it's shocking that not many Christians do that. And I don't think it's because we don't want to. I think you want to. I think we haven't prepared you to do it. We haven't taught you. You don't know what to say. You're afraid. There are various reasons, and we talked about that last week. Good message, by the way. I would listen to it. Not because I brought it, because it's scriptural. And we need to know these things. So today, I'm continuing part two and the final message in this series. So um, you got a sermon guide. I hope that you do. There's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. I just want to refresh us. A disciple-maker. The, the, the title of this message is, Disciples Make Disciples. Come on, say it with me. Disciples make disciples, right? So what's a disciple maker? A disciple maker is a disciple of Jesus who intentionally enters into relationships to help others follow Jesus. That's a disciple maker. Pastor Robert, give me, give me an example. Um, a great example is like, let's say you're having a small group. And like yesterday, we had a group of men that met at Dunkin' Donuts Dennis, myself, David, Joey, Josh Miner, and who else? Is that it? That's it. And we're, we're, we're making disciples. We're learning how to follow Jesus as men of God. We zero in on a text and we, we just get everything we can out of that text. And we talk about the different implications of that text. And we talk about how does that work in our life today and why is that important and then we're asking the Lord to help us to live this out. That's passing on the instruction from the scriptures. That's part of disciple making. That's just an example. But every believer could learn to be a disciple maker. Look at this graphic with me on the screen. It's not a perfect picture of disciple making. But I think it will help us to get the point. To capture uh, what I'm trying to say here. Everyone starts off outside of a relationship with Jesus. Well, somewhere, somewhere along the line, they're going to hear the good news and that gulf, that big gap between them and Jesus is going to be closed and they're going to step over and they're going to become an infant in Christ, a baby. They're still wearing their spiritual diapers, so to speak. And that's okay because that's where every single one of us start out at. But how many of you know we shouldn't be walking with Jesus for 15 years and still wearing spiritual diapers? That's not right. So someone above them, a little older, someone who's got a little more kingdom understanding, someone who's got some disciple making in themselves already, and they're followers of Jesus, they're reaching behind, and they're bringing others up. And, and then you see the pattern. It's unfolding. Disciples making disciples, and disciples making disciples. And then at some point, when you're older in Christ, and you've been walking Him for many years, you might have you know, spiritual children that you've discipled. And then those disciples have spiritual disciples that they're discipling. And now you're like a grandparent disciple maker. And generations are being impacted by your influence with Jesus in people that you're bringing up as disciples. 
That was in the heart of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18. Can you see how that was in the heart of Jesus? Can you imagine if no disciples made any disciples? We wouldn't even be here today. Nobody would have shared the gospel with us. Nobody would have encouraged us. We wouldn't have got saved wherever, wherever that happened for you. So I wanted you to see this. You get an idea. There's supposed to be this ongoing disciple making. If you have a Bible, it's not in your sermon guide, but I think it's worth looking at. Look at Titus. Come on, let's see if we got any good fast flippers in here. It's way in the back. It's after 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And then you're going to see a, a book, a little book called Titus. And, and I think there's a great picture of what happens in disciples making disciples. In Titus chapter, chapter 2, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Titus chapter 2. Just listen to what he says. He's writing to Titus and he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That means healthy teaching according to the word of God in the scriptures. Verse 2, notice this, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. When it says sober, just so that we're on the same page, it's not talking about not being drunk, although that's included. Sober here in this context means, hey, listen, think, think sharp. Think sound. Think clear. Think right. Right? And then verse 3, Titus 2, 3, notice, the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. Notice, these, these older women, older in the faith, they've been walking with Jesus for a while. They're a little older in years. They've got some experience. They know some, they're disciples. Notice, he says, you're supposed to be teaching good things. Now, I think it's worth noting. That doesn't mean they're pastors. That doesn't mean they're scholars. That doesn't mean they know everything. That doesn't mean they never make mistakes. That doesn't mean they're these special, you know, super Bible teachers. No, they're disciples walking with the Lord. And they're supposed to be teaching good things. Notice verse 4. That they admonish the younger women. How many know younger women need some good teaching from older women in the things of God? Right? Admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. So there's a pattern that's supposed to take place in the church, and the pattern is disciples making disciples. It's not all up to the pastor. It's not all up to the senior leaders. We're all to be growing and learning together at your level, where you're at. Every believer can instruct another believer in the things of the Lord. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know everything. You just share what you know. You're a witness with what you know and where you're at. You do the best you can with where you're at. And you learn and you grow as you go. Come on, somebody say amen. What is the difference between a cessationist and some of us will call uh, Pentecostals or Charismatics? Now, I want to get into a little bit of light theology here, but I think it's worth it, okay? Some of you may not even have heard the term cessationist. I think it's on your sermon guide. Cessationists believe 
There are no miraculous gifts today, such as a gift of prophecy, healings, and tongues, or any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's nine gifts that the Holy Spirit brings to the church. Cessationism, from the word cease, means to stop. It means to end. So people who subscribe to a cessationist belief or doctrine, they believe that with the death of the apostles... Because their function of establishing the church was complete, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit in miracles and signs and wonders and all of those other things, including speaking in tongues, cessationists believe that's not for today. That has stopped. That has ceased. But there are some that are open, but they're cautious. And some cessationists agree that miraculous gifts are indeed possible today, But the teachings and practices associated with the current use of such gifts are frequently characterized by abuses and not important for evangelism and discipleship compared to Bible study, obedience, and more traditional forms of spiritual growth. Okay, so those are cessationists. Two categories. One that says, absolutely not. One that says, okay, I'm a little bit open, but I don't like the way it's demonstrated in some portions of the body of Christ. And they have some good reason for some of that. Jesus wasn't weird and he wasn't scary. Amen? But Jesus moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now what about Pentecostals or Charismatics? What is a Pentecostal? What is a Charismatic? Well, I wrote something down here. While these two groups are different in some ways, they may be collectively understood as accepting the current availability of the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've never investigated 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that could be a little bit of homework for you. Go back and look at that because there's nine gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church. By the way, Paul says that they're for the benefit of the church. They're for the benefit of people, not just the church. They're for the benefit of the common good. He goes on and it says, they often hold to... Pentecostals and Charismatics often hold to a baptism of the Holy Spirit after salvation with the evidence of speaking in tongues. How many of you have ever heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Have you ever heard of that before? Some people have. Some people haven't. Some people might have heard about it or experienced it and they might be a little afraid or They just didn't understand it. So it it kind of was strange to them. And that's understandable. And it takes some teaching. It it takes some some clarification from the scriptures so that we can begin to understand that with the Holy Spirit's help. It's not supposed to be weird or scary. It's definitely not something that we're naturally used to because it's supernatural. But that's what a Pentecostal or a charismatic would hold to. And I wanted to share that with you. It's so important because our church... If you didn't know, you need to know. Lakeshore Christian Fellowship is part of the Four Square Denomination, the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. And we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the fullness of the Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. That doesn't mean that we see them happening all the time or we're demonstrating them the way we should or the way we could. But fundamentally, at the level of the foundation, We adhere to them. We believe them. And we want to grow in those. 
And it's important because if you didn't know that, you need to know. On our website, Lakeshore Christian's website, we have belief statements. We believe this, we believe that. And one of our belief statements on our website, I want to read it to you. It has to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is an experience that follows salvation. All believers have God's Spirit within them. Holy Spirit baptism empowers believers to exalt Jesus, to live lives of holiness, and to be witness of a God's saving grace. We believe that those who experience Holy Spirit baptism today will experience it in the same manner that believers experienced it in the early church. In other words, we believe that they will speak in tongues, languages that are not known to them. And those are full of scriptures, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Acts 1, 8, Acts 2, 4, and so on and so forth. So we don't have time to teach that today, but I will make some time in the near future to begin to talk about some of these things and teach these things so that we have a better understanding. Because if we don't have a better understanding, it can be confusing, it can seem strange, and we can be very disconnected from what we believe that God wants to do in and through the church. We also believe in divine healing. Remember the story I started with? That was an up-to-date modern story. Mindy laid hands on this woman who had been diagnosed with cancer. The woman went back. She got an MRI or a scan or whatever. And miraculously, that cancer was gone. And the woman knew it. And she came back with her whole family and had Mindy pray for them. And that was a powerful testimony. So we believe. And I asked you. You raise your hands. You can't take your, back, can't take your word back on that. Right? You can't. We believe. Can God do it? Yes, he can do it. Is, is there anything too difficult? No, there's not anything too difficult for God. But he's looking for some people of faith who he can use. Divine healing. We believe and teach that Christ's healing ministry continues to us and through us even today. By the power of the Lord Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he continues to heal the sick and the afflicted in answer to believing prayer. Healing of the body, soul, and spirit is not only a paid and full benefit for every believer to access, but also a responsibility for every believer to give away freely. Now, I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm never going to put anybody in an uncomfortable spot. But part of discipleship, we want to teach each other how to make ourselves available for God to use us to minister and to pray for people. That's part of your inheritance as the body of Christ. Now let's look at some scripture where Jesus actually did this stuff and told his disciples to do it in his name. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, the back half, Jesus is speaking, and Jesus tells his disciples this. Check this out. Jesus said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, that's the authority. In my name, they, those who believe, will cast out demons. Now, let me pause right there, because that could sound a little scary for some people. What the heck is Jesus talking about? Well, when you read the Gospels, you can see readily that Jesus confronted people that were demon-oppressed, demonized, or demon-possessed. And this, these demons would overpower kids and adults and people, and, and part of the ministry of Jesus would be to set people free from the kingdom of darkness and from demon oppression. By the way, it may not be as demonstrative or as prevalent here in the United States, but you go to other third world countries where there's witch doctors and all kinds of that dark stuff. I mean, you can see easily there are people that are demon possessed. 
By the way, I think there's a lot of them here in the United States, but we don't call it that. We call it other stuff or we dismiss it. But when you talk to some people, you can tell there's something going on. They are severely, severely demonized and just all messed up on the inside. That's not God's will for people. That's why Jesus did this stuff. That's why he told his disciples to do it. And he goes on and he says this in verse 18. They will take up serpents. No snake handling in this church. He's talking about divine protection. And if they drink anything deadly, divine protection, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. That's what I want to emphasize. Notice, they, the believers in Jesus, who go on the authority of his name, they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Pastor Robert is, I mean, that was Jesus. It was Jesus. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, this brings me to the second lifestyle habit of disciples and disciple makers. It's a fill in the blank on your sermon guide. Disciples minister like Jesus did. Disciples minister like Jesus did. Disciples serve people like Jesus did. Right? Jesus did it. Of course, that was Jesus. What about other people? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Luke chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I don't know if it's on your sermon guide, but I'm turning in my Bible. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and then 6. Luke chapter 9, this is a good little pathway to jump on in your Bible to kind of connect the dots. Luke chapter 9, then Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom, the rule, the authority, the reign, the dominion of God, and to heal the sick. Verse 6. So they departed, and they went home and they hid because they were afraid and they didn't know what to do. Is that what it says? I'm being facetious. That's not what it said. Notice what it said. So they departed, and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Who's doing that there? The disciples are doing it, not Jesus. The disciples are doing it. Okay, look at uh, Luke chapter 10. Stay with me, Luke chapter 10, first three verses, and then we'll go to verse 17. We're just connecting some dots. But somebody might say, Pastor Robert, of course. And those were the 12 disciples. I mean, those were the ones. They were in the group. They were close with Jesus, and they were. But notice Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great. When he says the harvest, what is he talking about? Come on, it's not a trick question. People, souls, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Guess what? They were the answer to their own prayer. And they went out into the harvest. Look at verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is powerful. I know in our humanness, we look at these verses and we go, I just want to be a Christian and just go to heaven. You know, I don't, I don't want to get involved in all this stuff, right? 
I mean, uh, do I have to get involved in all? Listen, you don't have to do anything. But it's a privilege to be an extension of the life and the ministry and the power of Jesus to people. It's a privilege. You know, the cost of discipleship is great. But the cost of non-discipleship is greater. We miss out on so much in our relationship with God. Did you make all those connections like I did? So Jesus definitely ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He brought healing. He brought breakthrough. He, he shared the love of God. He was the perfect manifestation of the Father to people everywhere he went. And then he turned around and he told his disciples to do the same thing. And then he empowered 70 others and they did the same thing. Somebody might say, okay, yeah, but that was way back then. What about today, Pastor Robert? Come on, look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I mean, this is so evident. James chapter 5, talking to the church in verse 14, James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sins, he'll be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. That you may be healed. That you may be healed. I thought Jesus only healed people. I thought it was only the 12 disciples or the 72. No, this is for the church today. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then in case there were any doubters that he was writing to, anyone who was a naturalist, Anyone who believed that only things in the natural can happen and there had to be a scientific reason for it. God doesn't move like that. Just in case he was writing to any of those, notice what he says in verse 17. Elijah in the Old Testament was a man with a nature like ours. He was human. And he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. He's trying to say, listen, Elijah was a human just like you are human, just like I am human. But we serve a supernatural God. And if we'll step out in faith and we'll make room for the Spirit of God, He can bring healing and He can bring breakthrough and He can bring restoration to one another as we step out in faith and believe Him. So Pastor Robert, okay, how do I minister healing through prayer and the laying on of hands? How do I do that? Well, let me give you some keys. A, B, C, and D. They're fill in the blanks. They're simple, but they're worth mentioning because they're fundamental. Letter A. When you're praying for someone for healing or breakthrough or restoration, you always want to pray in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the fill in the blank. Remember, he said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, in that authority. So we're going in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen? So we want to pray in the name of Jesus, letter B. We want to pray in faith. We want to pray in faith, right? You don't need to go beyond what you believe, but you got to believe. you got to pray in faith. God is still in the miracle-working business. There's nothing impossible for God. You might want to have a couple scriptures tucked away in your heart, and you know them, right? We want to pray in faith. If you don't, you get yourself a God's Promises book. Even if you have to hold this God's Promises book in your hand and you're praying like this for somebody else and you're reading the Scripture just like this. 
For I am the Lord your God who heals you. Exodus 15, 26. Then you know God's your healer? That's what the word says. And we're going to pray according to that. We, we grow and we develop and we, we practice and we get better when we practice. You know, the Lord showed me the other day that exercising these things is like a muscle. If you never exercise your muscles, they'll never grow. They'll never get stronger. I know it's true. I've been exercising for two years straight. At 55, I feel like I did when I was 30. I'm exercising. My muscles are getting stronger. I have more stamina. I feel better than ever. But it's like that in the spirit too. If you'll just begin to exercise some of these things, your spiritual muscles will get stronger. And you'll become more efficient. And it'll get easier. And you'll get better. That's very, very true in the spirit realm, just like it is in the natural. Letter C. Pray according to God's word. Pray according to God. What does the word say? I know you're going through that, but the word says this. I know so-and-so said that, but the word says this. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what you say. What matters is what the word says. Our authority is the word. Amen? So we want to pray according to the word. And letter D, this is so important. Pray from the Father's love and compassion. All ministry in the Holy Spirit, all ministry that's taking place like Jesus ministered, it has to be ministered from the love of God and from a compassion for people. That's where Jesus ministered from all the time. He had a love of the Father and he had a compassion for people. So you can do this. We can do this. We can grow in this. Let me do this. Is there anyone here this morning who says, Pastor Robert, you know, during that prayer time, I was, I was wanting to go up. By the way, did you see me go up? I went up to get prayer. I've never done that before, I don't think. But this morning I felt like, oh, I need to go up. My voice wasn't 100%. Something's wrong. My voice is not 100%. I need to go up and get prayer. But then I thought, no, I'm the pastor. I don't want people to think I need to go up to get prayer. You know, that's your natural mind. And then I wrestled with that for a while. I said, no, you need to go up and get prayer. These women are women of God. They're going to pray in faith. You need to go up and get prayer. You're going to be coughing all over the place. Get some prayer. No, I don't want people to think, you know, we've got these natural thoughts. And then finally, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to get up there and get prayer. Come on, don't be disobedient. So I did. And I'm so glad that I did. My wife knows how to pray. And she put her hand on me, and I felt the presence of the Lord. And she prayed in faith. And she prayed according to the word. And she prayed with authority in Jesus' name. That's how God wants us to do it. Have you noticed I haven't coughed once? I feel okay. But we can do these things. And God wants us to learn. So if you were, you were here today and you didn't go up for prayer, let me encourage you. We're making these available, these times, so that we can receive prayer. So that we can receive breakthrough. We can receive a touch from God. And don't be surprised if at some point I might have you jump in little circles. Two or three or four people. I won't have you do anything you're not comfortable doing, but someone in the group will take the lead and pray for you. And we can learn and we can grow together. Amen. How many of you think it would be a good idea? Now, now, I'm not asking you if you know how to do it. And you're real good at it. I'm just asking you if you think it would be a good idea. 
if each of us learned how to pray for one another? Come on. You think it'd be a good idea? We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Here's the third and final point, and we're ending. This is a lifestyle habit of a disciple, okay? Disciples help others become disciples like Jesus did. That's what disciples do. Disciples help others become. Notice the word become. That's an important word because it doesn't usually happen instantaneously or overnight. When Jesus called Peter in Matthew 4.19, I think it said, Jesus told him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was talking about the process of discipleship that have to go into place for Peter becoming a fisher of men. And there's a process for me. There's a process for you. And as we're learning, we help others become disciples. That's what Jesus did. He called his 12 to himself that they might be with him. That's what it says in Mark chapter 3. That they might be with him first. That he might send them second to go and preach and to bring what he brought to people third. But it starts with being with him so that he can disciple us. It's the same for you and I. When we're together in a discipleship environment, it starts with us being together, learning together as disciples. And as we grow and we learn together, we're becoming the disciples that God wants us to be. Amen? Make disciples. What do disciples do? Disciples make disciples. So here's the three lifestyle habits. Last week we said disciples share the gospel. Right? Well, that's a big one. That's a big one. I'm serious. That's a big one because that's, I mean, we get nervous, all kinds of different. But we're going to learn how to do that. The second one, disciples minister like Jesus did. And the third one, disciples help others become disciples. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe. And check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.